Let's turn our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 7. We talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Today's one of those days that if you, if you, I don't know, if you hand in hand with the Lord, this could change your life. This is ministry in the 21st century. See, the Trinity of God is not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Many churches, that's probably the sum of it. Actually, my fear is that we might be heading that way rather than the Trinity's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you know what, I'm leaving. You guys have been really comfortable with me here for like three and a half years, and you're used to that, but I'm leaving and I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and I want you to be comfortable with him inside you, leading you with power. And by the way, there's no plan B. He, he directed us to the work of the Holy Spirit. So in Zechariah, it's the Old Testament, verse 4 of chapter 6, God says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we see this in the Old Testament with King David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel the prophet was sent to the house of Jesse that one of his sons would be the next king. King Saul was a total failure. He's out, or he will be, and in his place will be the next one. So you know the story. Samuel goes there, and Jesse sends uh, seven of his sons before Samuel. And the first one, Samuel, okay, our, our work is done. This is the one. And God says, no, 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 you look at the outward, I look at the heart. And after all seven, neither one of them was the one. And, and Samuel goes, Jesse, do you have any other kids? He goes, well, I got a, the young one. You know, he's out tending sheep. Go get him. And when, when David comes in, he's this good-looking, probably teenager, and the Lord said, that's the one. And so Samuel, the prophet, anoints him, and it says this in chapter 16, verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day on. That, that means his life was dramatically changed because of his relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's the Old Testament. We see similar stuff in the New Testament with Jesus himself. So in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is praying as he's baptized in water. And as he's praying, which is interesting, a great way to receive the Holy Spirit, it says that as he was praying, the Spirit came upon him. Now, go to chapter 4 of Luke. This is just a background. Chapter 4, Jesus did the 40-day fast. Then he did the one-on-one -on -one with Satan himself, the temptations. And after that, it says Satan left for a more opportune time. He left, but he never leaves for good. He waits, okay, I, I know when to strike. And so in the meantime, it says this of Jesus, he returned, notice this, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Here's a concern I have. Let me show you something. If you were to take out that phrase, in the power of the Spirit, so instead of, we go back up to the verse, instead of, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. We just take out that middle phrase, and it goes, then Jesus returned to Galilee. That sentence makes complete sense. It's total. It's grammatically correct. 
but it's missing the power. It's missing the impact of what, the, the, of what really happened. Jesus returned, but it was in the power of the Spirit. That's how we want to operate today. So, the immediate as well as the eternal benefits or consequences, I shouldn't say benefits, of rejecting Jesus Christ. I think the first one's going to surprise you. He'll still bless you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, well, God causes the sun to rise on the, the good and the evil. He, he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He, he knows he loves you. He wants to bless you. He knows if you're going to reject him, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. So he's trying to bless you, even if you reject him. Now, another thing is you'll never experience the peace of God because you won't be at peace with God. God says, your sin is the issue here. Let's deal with it. No, I don't want to. So you won't have peace with God. You'll never have the peace of God. Not, matter of fact, you'll never have the abundant life that he has for you. Or you might have riches untold. You might be, you know, the man of the hour. But you'll never experience all that God has for you. Now, on Judgment Day, if you reject your, the, the Lord, on Judgment Day, you'll face God alone, all by yourself, no defense attorney. Now, they all say that there's that old saying, he who defends himself in court has a fool for a client. You don't want to be up there without a defense attorney, and so then you will be sentenced to hell. That's all the future, the present and future for those who reject Christ, but those who accept him. And notice I have up here, it's more than accept. I'm following him. It's not something I did years ago. Yeah, I accept him. Now I get on with my life. Now, I'm denying myself. I'm picking up my cross. I'm following him. And for, for those of us who are doing that, you receive what we call the exchange at the cross. Now, this is taken from the, the uh, book of Isaiah, chapter 61. He says, basically, if you, when you go to Jesus Christ, you'll, this exchange takes place, you'll get beauty for your ashes. Meaning, you and the Lord says, well, what do you got? My, well, <laughs> here's what I've done with my life. I got a pile of ashes. And the Lord says, give it to me. I'll make something beautiful out of it. He says, the oil of joy, instead of crying, instead of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And instead of just a life of crying and brokenness, I'll give you the oil of joy. I'll give you the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. I mean, come on, you have one life. You want to go through life with the spirit of heaviness, like uh, always on a downer? You ever know those? They, They come into the room and they... They seem to pull everybody down. They have a spirit of heaviness. And God says, there's an exchange at the cross. You can give God that, and he'll give you a garment of praise where now you walk in the room and people light up. That's what happens to those who are following Jesus Christ. You'll be sealed by the spirit, which means he's not going to let you go. He's not going to lose you. It's not like God says, wow, where did Mike go? He was here. Oh, he's sealed by the spirit. It's a down payment. And if that's his down payment, he's coming back for the rest. If you're following Jesus Christ, you're going to enjoy the abundant life. Remember in John 10, 10, Jesus said, you know why Satan's so here. You know why the thief is here. Rob, kill, and destroy. That's his will for your life. But I have come, Jesus, the good shepherd, 
that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's yours if you're following Jesus Christ. You can have your prayers answered. You can have his promises kept. And now on judgment day, you will face God, but not alone. You'll have a defense attorney, Jesus Christ himself, who basically will stand up and say, Father, he's one of mine. Okay. And at that point, you go into heaven. At that point, you hear, well done, good and faithful, sir. This is, <laughs> is this a hard decision? I wonder if I should reject him or if I should follow him. But here's the problem, or here's our, our issue today. It is wonderful to be an ambassador. I like how Tyler prayed to we'd be ambassadors. An ambassador properly represents the king of a foreign country. It's, an, it's, an, it's a privilege. It's exciting to be able to tell people there's a king who will forgive you of your sins. You have offended him with your sin. He's ready to forgive. It's great to be able to say that, but let's not leave out the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, this is the plan today. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. In today's verses, Jesus gives us the promise of his Holy Spirit. Now, how it's a, a life, it's a heart that has an overflow. So I'm reading from the New King James, John chapter 7, beginning in verse 25. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? They're kind of confused. I, I thought, this is Jesus. I thought they're trying to kill him. But look, he speaks boldly. He's not hiding. He speaks boldly. They say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come... Uh, I'm sorry, and, and, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself... But he who sent me is true, whom you don't know. You don't know the Father. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. He'd always emphasize he's on a mission. So verse 30, therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. God the Father still had more for God the Son to do, and so they're not going to take him early. And many of the people believed in him, and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? So this is what's going on. They're saying, I, I think this might be the Christ. Actually, by the end of this paragraph, they, they accept, accept him as the Messiah. They knew the Jewish leaders are trying to kill Jesus. And so their question here is, don't they know he's right there? He's not hiding in a closet. He's not whispering in secret. He's boldly proclaiming it. So they're looking around, where are all these leaders that want him killed? Then they go, but they're confused because he doesn't fit an Old Testament scripture. See, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says that the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. So they're thinking, we know where Jesus is from. We know he was born in Bethlehem. Well, doesn't Micah say something about that? Yeah. And then he fled to Egypt. Doesn't the Bible say that? And then he was raised in Nazareth. I thought the Bible said, yeah, yeah. And then, then he goes to Capernaum, to the Sea of Galilee. We know where he's from. But because of this verse in Malachi, they thought that the Lord would just miraculously appear at the temple. And so they're confused, trying to make sense, trying to prove the scriptures are true. So no, he's not going to suddenly appear. 
That's why he says, you know me, you know where I'm from. So then they ask this question, so when the Messiah comes, he's not going to do more miracles than this guy, right? I mean, Jesus raises the dead, he cleanses lepers, he opens the eyes of the blind, he heals people. Uh, you know, I think he's the guy. And then they do this. Many believed in him. That was what scared the Pharisees. So next we have the Pharisees' reaction, let's arrest Jesus before this gets out of control. So we pick it up in verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things. I think he's the Christ. Concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers, so they send military uh, police, or I'm sorry, soldiers, uh, he sent uh, officers to take them, and Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I'm going, you cannot come. He's speaking of heaven. I'm going to the Father. You can't go there. And then they're going, what? What's he talking about? So the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we can't find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What's this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? So then we skip over to uh, verse 45. So these officers go back to the guys who sent them to arrest Jesus. The officers came back to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought them? They said, you know what, no man ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have you, uh, have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, remember him from chapter 3, Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, he was a disciple, or he was also a Pharisee, or a Pharisee. Being one of them, he said to them, doesn't our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his house. Well, it is interesting. Technically, Jonah the prophet was from the north. But anyway, we're saying, okay, we're going to arrest this Jesus. Now, all this is setting the picks, the background to the pouring out of the Spirit. They say arrest him. They're, they're, um, they're going there and they go, uh, he says something. I'm not sure what he's talking about. He's, he's, you know, some guys would go, he's speaking bubbles. I don't get it. No, he's speaking about heaven, and you can't go there because you don't know the Father. And then they say, well, well they come back, and they're empty-handed, and the guys who sent them say, where's Jesus? You got one job. Go arrest Jesus. It's like the football coach to his field goal kicker. One job. Put the, goal, put the ball through the goalpost. One job. What, you had one job. Go arrest Jesus. What did you do? Well, no one ever spoke like this guy. And then they go, are you deceived? If they were little kids, they go, no, but you are. It's, it's so interesting here. The people who were deceived were accusing others of being deceived. And so they came back empty-handed. Then we come to the promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now we're in chapter 7 beginning in verse 37. On the last day, 
that great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures said, out of his heart will flow. It says rivers, but it should be torrents. Or you could really put Niagara Falls. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, let's unpack this. We have this, this is one of the three great feasts that the Jewish males were required each year to leave everything, go to Jerusalem, and have a feast. Some of them have a party. Now, uh, in six months, Jesus is going to be nailed to a tree or nailed to a cross. So it, it's kind of picking up the intensity of the ministry here. One of the three major feasts, but this one, it lasted eight days. Now, they call it tabernacles, and it goes back to when Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt, and for 40 years they lived in tabernacles. You and I would probably call them lean-tos. You know, where you prop up this and you have this and you have this, uh, or a lean-to or a tent. It was kind of like the ultimate camping uh, playground. Kids love to go camping. Moms are questionable. They have a lot of work to do. But this is a lot of, time, a lot of fun. It lasts eight days. Now, the parents would spend those eight days rehearsing with their keiki Listen, let me tell you what God did in our lives. This is our history. This is the faithfulness of our God. For 40 years, he gave us manna. We're not sure how. We just took it as a daily miracle. He made water come out of a rock and satisfied millions of people, satisfied all our flocks and herds. Just miraculous. But also, he would provide this pillar of fire by night that lit up and, and kept the snakes away. And he provided a pillar of cloud by day where we were protected from the sun. We didn't get super sunburned. And they would rehearse God's faithfulness. So this was this fun feast where they celebrated their past, but it also anticipated their future, okay? So there's a procession that would take place every day of these eight days of the feast. And during the procession, the priest, or some would say priests, plural, would go to the pool of Siloam with a golden vessel. I'm thinking that vessel was worth some money, all right? And he'd dip it in the pool of Siloam, and he would carry it up to the temple. And the people would follow the priest going up to the temple. They would be singing the Psalms, the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 all the way up to Psalm 118. And this is a time of rejoicing. You know, they, uh, so he would go up and they're singing in Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun. Do you remember this song? Till the going down. You missed it, okay? It probably sounded a lot better than that, but we used to sing this. And so it's a fun time. You know how kids love to sing happy birthday and celebrate? This is 10 times better. We're singing to the Lord. There's this godly tradition, and we're excited, and we're following the priest up, and we're singing these psalms. And so 
as they would reach from 113 all the way up to 118, now they're on the last of the Hallel Psalms, every man would shake his right hand, and it was filled with branches and twigs to be reminding them of the tabernacles, the lean-tos, the tents they had for 40 years in the wilderness. And then in their left hand, they'd hold up citrus fruit, symbolically saying, God is providing. God is providing. And then they, they would say three times, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks. And I just think it built every time. Give thanks to the Lord. It was a great godly celebration. So the priest, as they would pray, as they would at this point, he would pour out the water and they'd sing verse 25 of Psalm 118. Save now, I pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. So this is them rehearsing God's faithfulness in their past. All right, that's the first part of that. They were looking to the past, but they also looked to the future. Now, this says on the last day, so we know it was on the eighth day of the fast, or of the feast, I'm sorry. On the last day. Now, some commentators say that on this day, the priest went again to the pool of Siloam, but he didn't put water in the pitcher, in the vessel. He left it empty. And he would still carry it up to the temple. People would still follow him, with this empty thing, but it, he would symbolically pour it out. There's nothing in it. He'd symbolically pour it out, and the high priest would read Isaiah 44, verse 3, which says, for I, pour, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods come upon the dry ground. Notice this. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants. All happening at the, this great day, and it's at that point they're celebrating God's faithfulness in the future. They're anticipating that. But it's at this point Jesus stands up and he yells. You know, this, he's usually quiet. Now he's just, he, he stands out and cries out, if anyone thirsts, that's the only requirement, thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to church. No. Let him come to Jesus Christ, but participate. Drink. Don't just... Try and get close. Drink. He who believes in me. So they're not just going through rituals. They're not just going through some motions and their heart's not in it. But this, I believe in him. As the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers. Niagara Falls of living water. Now, we're covering some material. The, the thing is, again, some churches today want to say, the, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. We know that's not true. But the church today has, has gotten to a point where they're not sure what to say about the Holy Spirit. They're not to say, where, what place does he have in my life, even though Jesus said, this is it. <laughs> There's no plan B, so you want to know about the Holy Spirit. And yet, instead of embracing this and saying, Lord, whatever is in John 7, I want in me. That's a very safe prayer. That's a very scriptural prayer. Instead of doing that, they want to split hairs over when it happens, what, if it happens, and where it, whatever. I'm not here to split hairs. I'm here to go, okay, I'm reading it in the Bible. I want it in my life. Okay, I'm proving this scripturally. So, 
The only prerequisite is thirst. Jesus did not say, when you've cleaned up your act, come to me. When you've given a lot of money, when you've fasted for 19 years, then he didn't say any of that. The only thing is thirst. That's the only requirement. It goes back to Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, verse 11. The writer said, you know, God has put eternity in their hearts. What does that mean? It means no matter how good or bad you have it here, this is not ever supposed to satisfy you. I mean, you could have it made in the shade, and yet something's missing. He's put eternity in our hearts. It's, it's not just the here and now. It's not just flesh and blood. I know there's more to life than what I'm experiencing. Yeah, that's a God-given given blessing that no matter how good or how bad you have it, this isn't supposed to satisfy. He's put eternity in your hearts, and even kings will thirst. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my heart, my soul pants for you, O God. Now, King David wrote that. He said, you know, I've got it made in the shade. I, I'm a king. I kind of got everything. But I'm thirsting for more of God. So the only requirement is if you thirst. Then John, Jesus said, or John says this, he has his own commentary. You know, when Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit, he, he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. He, the Holy Spirit wasn't given at that point because Christ wasn't glorified. So after Christ would be ascended into heaven, the Spirit would come down. Now, when was the Spirit given? If John says in John chapter 7, it wasn't given yet, and yet Jesus said, this is the plan. <laughs> you want the Holy Spirit, no plan B. So when did this happen? And we go back to the, well, we're going to go briefly through the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you'll receive dunamis, actually, in the Greek. It's where we transliterate into dynamite. He didn't say a firecracker. You'll receive dynamite. You'll receive dunamis power when the Spirit, notice, comes upon you. Some of you are very familiar with this, but let me just review. There are three prepositions about the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us, okay? First two are in John, the Gospel of John. Jesus said the Spirit is with you, first preposition, and he will be in you, second preposition. So he's with you, trying to woo you unto Jesus Christ. Here's the Spirit's work. Just like a young man tries to woo a woman into marriage, the Holy Spirit's trying to woo. Now, it might be just out of hope. It, it, it might be out of conviction. It might be out of brokenness. It might be out of emptiness. But the Spirit is with you, leading you to Christ, showing you your need for Christ. Then when you ask Christ into your heart, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. You hear my voice? You open, I'm coming in. And so at that point, many of you, if not all of you, have heard this. You, you, man, there was a time in my life I knew. I, <laughs> I might have been really good. I might have been really bad. But I knew God was knocking at the door of my heart. And I said, yes, Jesus, come in. And at that point, he forgives you. At that point, you are heaven bound. And unless the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ at that point, you're not saved, okay? 
But then when he comes upon you is when the Spirit, this is the third thing Jesus said, you'll receive power, dunamis, when the Spirit comes upon you. Now, you also be bold to be his witnesses. Get this. If there's a lack of power in my life, if I'm not bold in witnessing, it's because of my relationship with this Holy Spirit, according to the words of Christ. You receive power when the Spirit comes in. So if I have no power, get, get back with the Spirit. That's where the power is. There's no plan B. So then he's talking about it in chapter 1 of Acts. He then ascends into heaven. He told them to wait. Do you ever picture this? He's entrusting these guys, fishermen who are duking it out with each other. You know, tax collector used to rip off these people. And all these guys, he's, I'm entrusting you with the keys to the kingdom. You are going to plant churches. You're going to finish the New Testament. And he goes, and so here's the instructions. I want you to wait. Now, anyone here who has, has had or has now little kids and say you're, you and your, your spouse are going to go to the Kauai for the weekend and somebody's going to watch your kids, what kind of instructions do you leave? You say, okay, and usually the wife does this and just, okay, on Friday night, this is what you're eating. This is bedtime. This is what they can play. This is bath time, whatever. Saturday morning, this is what to expect. Sunday morning, church, whatever. You give these explicit directions because you are trusting your kids with this, with a, with this person. Jesus is trusting the future of the kingdom of heaven with these guys that are still learning as they go. And instead of this pages and pages of notes, he goes, I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit. Anybody here good at waiting? Oh, yeah, that's my gift. I hate to wait. I mean, that sounds like a great T-shirt, right? And he says, no, that's all you do. And how long until the Spirit comes? How long is that? Well, it turns out it was 10 days. And I think it was 10 days because the Lord's saying, I want to see if you'll wait. Of course, he knew. But for 10 days, you're going, okay, let's just pray. I don't know what's going on, but I know the plan is the Holy Spirit. And so, 10 days later, Acts chapter 2 happens, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Acts chapter 4, they get persecuted. So we're going right through this book of Acts. They get persecuted. They're scolded. And they go back and they, and then, and they pray instead of, oh, God, deliver us. They said, God, give us boldness. We want to go out with healing. We want to go out with power. And said, they prayed. They were filled again, the same people. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. How cool would that be to happen right now? I'm not sure if this gym could take it, but where you know, okay, listen, Lord, I repent of everything I've ever done in my life because this is real. Your Holy Spirit is real. Your Holy Spirit's searching my heart right now. You're, my motives, you're calling me out. And I surrender. So it's the second time. They were filled again. 
Now in Acts chapter 6, there's this big, you know, they had started a commune. They felt the Lord was returning so soon, let's just pool our resources, live off of that, and then probably by the time that runs out, he'll come back. And so it grew rapidly. And there were two kinds of widows, Jewish widows and Greek widows, Hellenistic widows. And it seemed the people who were passing out the food in this commune were favoring the Jewish widows. And so this big stink arises. Hey, it's not fair. And Peter goes, look, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm studying. I don't have time to do this. So here's his instructions in Acts 6, verses 3 and 4. Seek out from among yourselves. You do this. Seek out from among yourselves men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. What? Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. You guys take care of it. Wait, wait, wait. Full of the Spirit? What, what does that mean? Was it that somewhere more full of the Spirit? Is, I don't know. Evidently, when, when you go, well, what were they looking for? I think they knew. I see the Spirit upon that guy. I see, uh, that guy's full of self. He's just so full of self, or she's so full of self. No, that one's full of the Spirit. Now, they had hundreds to choose from, and they come down to six or seven. They're looking for something. They're looking for guys like David. From that moment on, the Spirit of God was upon him. Looking for guys like Jesus. You know, and you talk to somebody, you, you really remind me of Jesus. And so they're, they're looking for people specifically filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 8, Philip ventures off to Samaria. Now, Samaria was known for the half-breeds, right? They were kind of Jewish. They were kind of not Jewish. And they kind of merged this religion the Jews just rejected them, you compromisers, we want nothing to do with you. And Philip is sent to that place going, what am I doing here? So he starts preaching the word. And people can say, now, what's, it, what's what the Bible says about them? It says that the, the Samaritans in chapter 8, verse 6, they heeded the gospel. They got saved. They heeded the gospel. They repented. They got right with God. It says they were healed in verse 7. They were delivered from demonic possession. They were water baptized in verse 12. They were, there was great joy in the midst of all this, but there was something missing. Sounds like revival to me. Sounds like a lot of churches would be so stoked. I mean, to have a church full of people who's repented and there's a lot of joy and everybody's getting baptized, that'd be great. Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. The disciples back in Jerusalem, the capital at that time, heard what was going on. They send two of the main guys, Peter and John. Go pray for these guys because something is missing. Notice this wording. When Peter and John came down, now down is because Jerusalem is always up, and even though Samaria is north of Jerusalem, and we would go, that would be up. No, elevation-wise, no, it's always you come down from Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. So when they came down from Jerusalem, 
They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. No, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean receive the Holy Spirit? They, already, they had received the gospel. They had been water baptized. They had repented. They're full of joy. No, no, no. Now that you can receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet, you notice the preposition? He had fallen upon none of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when they laid hands on them, they prayed for them, John and Peter. They received the Holy Spirit. Now, okay, one guy's excited. The thing is, I'm not here to argue over that. I'm just, do you have that? Do you have Acts 8? Because we can pray for that and not argue over when this happens, what happens. It's just like, Lord, I want chapter 8. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. I want what I'm reading about. It is, it just sounds wonderful, powerful, fruitful. So then we'll close with this one. This is the last example. So Paul the Apostle is going to Ephesus. That's in modern-day Turkey. And he finds some disciples. It's kind of cool. He goes to this place and he goes, you know, I'm going to look for disciples. You ever know somebody who goes someplace, I'm going to look for some sin. No, he's finding disciples. And he finds about 12 men in this room. So he's with 12 men, and uh, he, he, uh, he has this curious question. It's only in verse 2, so it seems it happened kind of early. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul's confused. He's thinking, I've seen a lot of disciples by this point. Antioch, Corinth, Jerusalem. You guys seem different. You, you see, the argument is if you get everything at once, why would he ask this question? Of course they would. But maybe he's looking around the room and he goes, I, I, just, I don't see much love. He could say, yeah, I, you know, they sure love their football. They love their shopping. They love their food. They're trading recipes. Can you imagine if TikTok and that stuff was available back then? They love certain things, but they don't love each other. I just see this turmoil. They're, they're fighting. They're suing each other. What's going on? Your brothers and sisters, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Where's the love? And is, is it because of that he's going... Dude, did you guys receive the Spirit? Because the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the proof is love. Maybe it's a lack of joy. Maybe it was during the worship that he's looking around going, I don't know. I think I'm the only one into it. Uh, they're, they're mouthing the words. I see lips moving, but I don't think they believe it. Now, I'm not saying let's critique each other's worship. As an apostle, I'm thinking he's got some good discernment. But he's going, you know, when I sing about forgiveness in heaven, I have a lot of joy. Maybe he's looking around, there's such a lack of joy. And he goes, okay, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? But maybe it was peace. Maybe all they were talking about was the upcoming elections, and they're freaking out as if God's not in control. And I voted already. Vote, people. 
But there's some that just uh, there's no peace at all. God's not in control and this and that. Hey, where's your peace? For them, there was persecution. It was real. Soldiers could knock on the door and pull you away, and, and I get it. But he's going, but guys, I have this peace. I have this relationship with God's Holy Spirit that's so real. And, and even though these things are upcoming, and I know it, I have such peace. I have a peace that passes understanding. That's what the Lord talk, talked about. So I did something wrong here. I'm sorry. Hit the wrong one. Oh, sorry. There we go. So Paul lays his hands on these guys. All right? He didn't just go, What's, where's, everything's missing. He goes, it says in verse 6, he laid his hands on them. And here comes that preposition again. It's very consistent. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And in this case, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now in Samaria, in chapter 8, there was no mention of that it's not mandatory here chapter 19 it happens so he's recording it now have you come to the living waters uh, do you have these torrents of water coming out of you that's what it comes down to are you thirsty he didn't say have you repented of it? Well, of course you want to do that he didn't say have you given a lot of money? Have you fasted forever? He, you know what? You could have really screwed up last night. And you could be here this morning hoping nobody knows what's, what you just did. You think it's private. Nobody's, but God sees. But you know what? Sometimes that's what makes you thirsty because you really mess up and you're just, it doesn't satisfy it's never supposed to, because God has put eternity in your heart. That this world does not satisfy. I want what God has. And so you, you, maybe you've totally messed up. But it's made you thirstier than ever. And you might be the best candidate to get prayed for this morning and receive the Holy Spirit. How, how do I do that? Here's, how do I receive the same amount of faith it takes to receive Christ into my heart is the faith it takes to receive the Spirit. Same amount. Matter of fact, Jesus said this wonderful thing in Luke 13, or in Luke 11, verse 13. He said, if you then being evil, so he just told the story, listen, you dads, your kid asked for a sandwich, you don't throw him a snake, right? You know how to bless your kids. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, when, when you read that in the Greek, it's super-duper-duper. Duper. The comparison's ridiculous. It's like, where are this manini van? Super-duper. How much more will God, your Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's all it takes. When you ask Christ into your heart, it wasn't just, I mean, some of you are just, okay, I am broken, I got, I'm, I'm down. I got to look up. Lord, come in. And you heard the knocking. You heard the knocking. But in this case, it's the same amount of faith. Lord, <laughs> here I am. My wife is all by herself. She's reading a book on this subject. She goes, okay, Lord, I want that. Boom. This is very simple. For me, I had some 
Christian brothers living next door, and I go over there, hey, guys, pray for me. And I got the chair, put it in the middle of the room, and I sat down, come on now, pray. I had the faith, <laughs> something's going to happen. They, they went through the motions, but, and God filled me. God filled me. Each one of you have a different testimony. How? But it's, Lord, I'm asking you, if it were my kid who's hungry, I'm going to give him a, I'm going to give him something good to eat. But I'm your kid, and I'm thirsty, and there's only one thing that will satisfy, according to your word, it's the Holy Spirit. So I'm thinking this this morning, how, how do I really drill this in? How do I avoid the, the little pitfalls? And the, you know, the, how do we get to the heart of the issue to where people go, amen, that's what I want, and the Lord goes, well, it's not by power. It's not by might. It's by his spirit. His spirit that says, yeah, come to me and ask. And when you do, that's when you sense that anointing of God on your life. You see, it goes with, gosh, in, in um, Ephesians 2.10, it says, you know what you are, right? You're a work of art. You're God's poema in the Greek, and we transliter transliterate that to poem. He says, you're a work of art. And he makes the words go right and this and that. And, and so as you surrender to the Holy Spirit, God brings you into that fullness that he created you for. And it's just this wonderful thing. Okay, now I know. Now I'm experiencing that abundant life. Now I know why I'm here. I'm fulfilling it. And I see fruit as a result of my relationship with God's Holy Spirit. Guys, let's stand.